this horrible year never end? We've never lost a year before, and I'll be damned if we're gonna lose one on my shift. January 1st. Better get going on those taxis, Nettie. Alright, good to go. going everybody welcome to the third line plug sensecast i am your host taylor gibson joining me as always from the tropical metropolis of calgary alberta my co-host tim jancy tim how's it going sir it's going good having a pretty good holiday so far been watching some of the world juniors uh honestly good times good times that's good to hear man that's good to hear yeah i was watching some of the world juniors the last couple of days and man do i feel bad for germany yeah, it was fun watching Tim Stutzel, but other than that, that's a team that's had a mix of bad luck and just, yeah, not good. Yeah, and COVID. And, yeah, no kidding. Like, that's just been a rough go of them, but Tim Stutzel looks fantastic, so uh, going to keep going with that. Absolutely, man. And you know what? Given that in the next month or so, we're going to be headed to Season 4 and potentially... Tim Stutzel will be joining the Ottawa Senators for that. Yeah. I hope he does. And uh, we've got a lot more space on the roster, especially with those taxi squads, which we'll probably get to talking about. I think so. So I'm looking forward to room for the kids. For sure, man. For sure. So, Tim, 2020 was just such a weird year because it would be at this time of the year that we were doing our first half recap with insert person here from insert blogger podcast <laughs> because 2020 the 2020 21 season has yet to start so i just kind of figured you know what instead of doing a christmas episode which we also didn't get a chance to do this year i feel that the best way we should do to close out 2020 is by doing a look back on 2020 or as i call it welcome to the covid year it's just been a weird, weird ass year. Playoffs in the spring. Season start next year. What's next? Uh, Tim Stutzla scoring five goals against the Leafs and the Suns win six five. Yeah, we'll take that. Yeah. The Tampa Bay Lightning before they start applying LTIR are thirteen million dollars over the cap. Yeah. Fucking Tampa, man. I don't, I don't even know what to make of them anymore after hearing Kucherov is now on. Well, not Robot Island, but he's on LTIR for the season. Well, I think we knew that was coming. I think he was pretty banged up during the playoffs. Yeah, I heard he was pretty banged up after the playoffs, too. Hi-oh! Whoa. I mean, it wasn't as good as, say, the summer of Ovi, but, you know, it was okay. So, given that this will be the final episode for 2020, Tim, I feel the best way we should start this episode off is... 
talking a little bit about our Christmas holidays because obviously Christmas being a couple of days ago and we're now in the final, final days of 2020. So I got to ask the all important question. How was your Christmas holidays? Pretty good so far. Uh, We started by picking up a TV for retro gaming. So anyone who knows uh, retro gaming, especially with older consoles. uh, So like anything before like the, PlayStation 1, sorry, the PlayStation 1 and 64 below, the games were 100% made for full-screen TVs on the old cathode ray TVs. And then, like, even during the GameCube era, like, the picture will look fine on a modern HD TV, but you're going to get quite a bit of input lag. So if you want to play the games as they're meant to be played and uh, play them without a ton of lag, like, just from putting input to screen, you got to get one of those big, old honking CRTs. So Chelsea and I did just that, but I kind of goofed and didn't fully realize how heavy this sucker was going to be. Okay, now just for our listeners' sake, given that we haven't seen any actual photos of the TV, how, you know, you said obviously it's fairly heavy, but how big of a TV was it? It's a 31-inch TV. Oh, Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, it's funny, like <clears throat> my stepdad and my mom had a one of those old Sony you know, CRT TVs from like yep. 15, 20 years ago upstairs. And yes. so when they got a flat screen for the room, I took that one downstairs to use as my retro gaming TV. And it was freaking heavy. I was like, Jesus Christ. Like when we finally got rid of it, my stepdad and I literally lifted it and it was so heavy trying to get it up that staircase. I'm like, fuck, how did, how did people ever have these kind of TVs? The fucking ones that are like 170 pounds. Yeah. So those TVs, uh, the Sony ones, and it's the Trench Online in particular, they are actually a magnitude heavier than your standard CRT because they actually use a different technology for the screen. So you'll also notice that they are very screen heavy because they're using a metal grill for the screen. Wow, I actually never realized that, Tim. Yeah, so it's a different metal grill than the standard CRT use, what's known as a shadow mask. Mm -hmm. Well, this one uses something called something that's an aperture grill so the way that the magnets on this screen work is they're like individually woven to get a more like a faster responding and clearer picture but it also makes these things fucking heavy so like i remember uh like we used to have like a 30 40 inch tv like one of those old tube ones it was an rca Mm -hmm. and i remember it died and my dad and i moved it pretty easily like it was heavy like it was heavy but we managed so I was thinking, oh, yeah, this will be fine. We drove down to the south of Calgary to pick it up. Luckily, we had the woman who gave it to us, uh, gave us a hand in moving it. But still, it, Chelsea and I were beat, and we waited till the next day. We pull it out of the car, and we try to lift it, and it just rolls. And lands face down. The screen did not crack. So we decided to move it screen down the rest of the way and because most of the weight is it is is the screen it's not the electronics and surprisingly it's not the tube it's this fucking aperture grill yeah it was a lot easier to move face down because the weight was better distributed between the two of us so we get it in we roll it up and turn it on the screen on the left screen is discolored <laughs> and uh obviously no shop's gonna help us fix this 
Yeah, because honestly, I mean, I don't even know if there's really any TV repair shops anymore. Because nowadays, with TVs being the way they are, if it breaks, it's more like, fuck it, we'll just go down to like Walmart or Best Buy and get a TV for like a couple hundred bucks. Well, what ended up happening is uh, we found like three or four uh, repair shops in Calgary. And all of them are like, yeah, Sony doesn't make the part anymore. Because I was hoping it was just I knocked a magnet loose. Yeah. No, they think it's... And, like, no one would even come to look at it. Just because they knew. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is, like, I'd even pay, like, a repair person to come in. Because it's still cheaper than taking this sucker to the dump. Because you alluded to it earlier, but this TV weighs 170 pounds. For reference, that's 20 pounds more than me. You're only a buck fifty. Yep. I actually would have never guessed that, to be honest with you, Tim. Yeah, no, I'm, I don't weigh much. But it's funny, yeah, so, like, both Chelsea and I weigh less than the TV, and combined, we're barely heavier than the TV. Man, that's insane. I, I was going to say, honestly, at that point, because with... I, I can't remember the company right now, but there are companies right now that make converters because I have a converter for the the flat screen I have in the basement right now that I have my N64 plugged into. I was going to say, why didn't if that was the case, why didn't you just get like a small, cheap flat screen and just plug your N64 or whatever you're using into that? Well, the thing is, is like I, I had my N64 in the TV, like my flat screen to begin with. Yeah. Because it does accept the output. And the thing is, is like the upscaling isn't the issue. It's the input lag. Okay, cause because I was gonna... uh, it adds about ten about ten milliseconds. I was gonna say because I have my N sixty four plugged into the TV in here, and I really don't have that problem to be honest with you. It's more noticeable when you're playing like melees, like Super Smash Bros. Melee is the big one. Oh, uh, okay, so you're more like fighting games then. Yeah, like fighting games. Uh, actually, the flat screen TVs, like gun games, just don't work on them because the flat screen TVs don't reflect the same way. True, and it's funny, like, if you go, if you recall, on the Angry Video Game Nerd, even James Rolfe in one of the episodes mentioned that, too, that the light gun game, I can't remember which, I think it was in the NES Accessories episode, he made a mention of that, too, that he had to get an old RC, uh, CRT TV so it can actually work on it. Yeah, and, like, the TV, they're good TVs. It's, like, it's insane that this thing that was manufactured in 2001 still works so well that me dropping it only changes the color yeah you're lucky because honestly most tvs if you drop it on its screen that's that screen shattered exactly you're not there's gonna be nothing left of that fucking screen yeah, yeah. no like i a hundred percent agree i lucked the hell out it's funny like now that i've got this thing uh if i want to go like super hard into video quality the only thing i'd be looking for now is uh, an old professional video monitor and, like, these are CRTs they used to use in, uh, like, video editing, uh, newsrooms, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Or hospitals. So the tubes are super robust because they have to be able to be on 24-7 for decades and not burn out. And since a lot of, since hospitals are most far more computerized than they used to be, a lot of the hospitals have gotten rid of these old TVs and switched over to digital equivalents. Same with a lot of editing houses and newsrooms because uh, TV is now on a digital signal. 
they've just switched over to digital monitors, so you can find these TVs just kicking about. Although, uh, if you have to resort to buying one, it's like a thousand bucks, so I'm not going to buy one. I'm going to try my luck. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if all you're doing is playing, say, Melee or Pokemon Stadium, then really, if, if the color is really the only issue in the TV, then you should be fine. Oh, yeah. Probably had that TV on for, I want to say, about 20 hours since we got it. Because Chelsea's decided she's playing, like, uh, she's playing through Ocarina. I finished off my playthrough of Ocarina on it. We played a bunch of Pokemon Stadium. So, yeah, we've gotten good use out of the TV. That's really then, good uh, Oh, yeah, I've been playing Sonic the Hedgehog 3 on it. And it looks crisp, dude. And that's Sonic Adventure 3, or, or is that... Sorry, the... no, Sonic Sonic the Hedgehog 3. Oh, Sonic 3 on the Genesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry, I thought it you were talking about good. Adventure. Because the other thing I did is I grabbed the upgraded video cables. Okay, did you get... I was going to ask, did you get the... Um... There is a certain kind of input cables for the GameCube that actually makes the games look great on a flat screen TV. Unfortunately, the GameCube I have doesn't accept it. Oh, is it one of like the really old models? No, it's actually really funny uh, how it's the inverse. So the original model GameCubes in North America, Japan, and Europe all had both the analog and the digital out. Then... They sold the digital out cable separately, but they like made them online order only. They actually sold pretty well in Japan. They obviously moved nothing in North America because in 2001, North Americans weren't ordering shit online. So Nintendo decided it wasn't worth their while to sell them anymore. So they took out the capability on the GameCubes going forward in North America. Was this a feature that they continued or did they eventually bring it back? No, yeah, every every GameCube that isn't a launch GameCube no longer has this, no longer has the digital out. It only has the analog out. Okay, so at that point, I would imagine if you want to play, say, GameCube games on a flat screen, you're better off getting, say, a Nintendo Wii and just plugging your controllers into that then. Exactly. The only thing you're losing out on is the GameCube player. And if you do happen to have a GameCube with the digital out, so like an original model GameCube, do you want to guess how much these fucking cables cost? Three figures? 200 bucks each. Oof. Yeah, you'd be better off just getting a cheap Wii and just playing all your stuff on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the Wii, ha the Wii keeps the digital out. Well, that's good to hear then. You got some good retro gaming under your belt this holiday season. Now, given that, obviously with COVID-19, you weren't be able to come to Vancouver Island for Christmas, how did you and Chelsea spend Christmas Day? Originally, I was going to just make us a turkey. I realized once we got to Safeway that that wasn't going to happen because the smallest turkey they had was five and a half pounds. Yeah, and, and it was just, just a two. Way yeah. too much for two people. Yeah, <clears throat> well, even if you uh, even if you do leftovers for a couple of days, I'm saying by day three you would just get sick of eating like cold turkey out of the fridge. Yeah, pretty much. So what I did was I got a turkey a pre-stack turkey breast roast some potatoes and some cranberries and that worked out super well actually it was funny after thanksgiving instead of doing a turkey for thanksgiving i made a beef roast and did a autumn mash where actually and i really like this recipe uh you mash in one for every regular potato you use out of sweet potato and then put cinnamon nutmeg in oh okay and 
I learned that my potato masher is absolute dog shit. So for Christmas, my mom sent a bunch of gifts over as well as some baking. Yeah. And my Christmas present this year was a potato masher. I was going to say, is this the moment, Tim, where you have officially become an adult? I was fucking jazzed. Including the day you bought a house. Between that and mom sending you a potato masher. masher. Yeah, like, it was like, oh, I don't know what my parents are going to get me. Yeah, so for for Christmas, my mom got me a potato masher and a $100 Home Depot gift card. Tim, I'm Tim. I, you can't. I, you, I will never express how proud I am right now to hear that. No, it's fucking awesome. The, Tim, this is just what twenty eight just looks like for us now. Tim, homeowner, gets Home Depot gift cards for Christmas. I know. The only thing that can make it better if it was either a home hardware or a Canadian Tire gift card. Last year, I got Canadian Tire. Nice. Actually, can I uh, can I tell you something real quick? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, our bods, Neil and Mike from Bodcast. So they did a segment on one of their recent episodes called Cash It or Trash It. And so they went online and they're finding some stuff from Canadian Tire or whatever store they're looking at. And they say, would you buy it or would you trash it? They found something at Canadian Tire. Now, you know the um, the Tyndall logs they use for like, like wood stove, stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. They found one. That smells like Kentucky Fried Chicken. It's 20 bucks. It burns great, apparently. And your whole house will smell like chicken. I, I don't know about that one. I, I remember seeing that. or I didn't see it. I heard about it. And I'm just like... As a joke, I just thought, Oh, fuck. I just want to buy Tim one. Just to see his reaction of like, What the hell is this? I don't have a... A wood stove though well even if uh say you did like a small well i guess you live in a in a community it wouldn't really help but say if you did like a small fire in the backyard and you just burnt it to smell to see what it smelled like oh shit yeah i could do that actually it was funny uh i was walking home i think from work and i ran into one of my neighbors and she mentioned that they do a block party every year so i could do that i'm not sure if i'd be the hit of the party or run out of the neighborhood on a rail you know what? I think you would be forever labeled that guy. But I think just one time. Just just one, just one time. I think we they should tr- you should just try that and see what it's like. <laughs> so how was your end? Pretty good, you know. Pretty it was a pretty slow, pretty quiet Christmas here. I didn't get up to too much. Didn't really have anybody over just because of COVID-19. Christmas Day, though, uh, had a pretty good day, you know, played some Mario Party with my sister, we continued that yearly tradition, I ended up, no, actually, I didn't end up winning, I came in first place, and then Luigi ended up winning, uh, the most coins overall, and the most question marks, and he, oh, he fucking won, yeah, and that pissed me right off, I was like, fuck, so I ended up losing that, and then... On Boxing Day, I ended up buying a new television. And funny enough, you mentioned RCA. It's a 58-inch RCA TV. Now, originally, I was going to go for a, say, 75 or 65-inch. The only thing that I had in my mind and why I didn't buy one is because I knew it was going to be way too big for this TV stand I had in my room. And I went, okay, that should be fine, okay? I can't go 75. I can't go 65. Fuck it. I'll go 58. 
Even that was too big for that stand. Oh, jeez. So, so, here I am with a brand new TV. It's leaned up against the wall. <laughs> I can't use it. And I'm just like, oh, Christ, what am I going to do now? And so we have this uh, bench upstairs for our dinner table. So I grabbed that. I put it downstairs. It barely sat on the fucking bench. Like the feet were sticking up from it from, from on top of it. And I was just like, this looks so ghetto right now. And then, of course, my mom sends me this ad for a TV stand in Nanaimo, which I went to go grab it today. And it's now currently sitting on two cinder blocks. That's Roseanne. Because this thing is really small. Like, if yep. I was to take the cinder blocks out, you will see how low to the ground this stand is. Yep. And for me, I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, I couldn't... Like, I'm laying on my bed. I would never be able to see the TV. I could see half of it. Could it be so low? So I just put a couple of cindies under there and raised it up. And looks great, man. It looks really good right now. Nice. Yes. It's funny because uh, my Trinitron, uh, we have it on an old piece of counter. Really? Yeah, because uh, we were originally going to be like, oh, yeah, let's put it upstairs in the guest room. And uh, we got inside. We're like, yeah, that fucker's not going up the stairs. Yeah, I don't blame you. So, uh, yeah, now it's just sitting downstairs. So our living room, we've got TV stand, our flat screen, and then christmas tree that we got that chelsea's parents sent us it just fucking showed up on our doorstep in the middle of a meeting i was like we sent it i saw like the box and the costco guy just drops that like i didn't i didn't order a tree and then i look at it, it says chelsea Hart, and i was like i guess i ordered a tree i guess i ordered something and then we opened the door go in and it's like a seven foot christmas tree just showed up on my door Ah, uh, thanks mom and dad Thanks, Mom and Dad. And then, uh, yeah, and then after that, we've got, after that, you've got the Trinitron sitting against the wall on this old hunk of cupboard. Sorry, this old hunk of countertop. I love how your Christmas and my Christmas are pretty much the same right now. Yeah, pretty much. It's just the, what the fuck? Where are we going to, Third Blog Plugs Christmas episode, subtitle, where are we putting the TV? Uh, no, that should, you know what, if this was next year, that would totally be the title of the episode. Where's the TV go? Yeah, where do we put the TV now? Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, yeah, so my old TV and my old TV stand, I put it in the family room, and I put the, the two cinder blocks that were underneath it originally, and I rose it up, so I have my, my N64 hooked up, I... You know, I had a ball of Pink Whitney and some Fresca and had a couple of drinks and played some Mario Golf. Nice. Yeah, and I actually won. You know how if you play, if you ever played Mario Golf, they have like the, the leaderboard like after yeah. every hole. I have never, ever been able to get number one. Really? And I did it. I, had, I still don't know how I did it. I've never played Mario Golf on the 64. It's fun. It's fun. It's a really... The one thing, and funny thing I've never mentioned here is that I don't mind golf video games because I find them very calming. Yes. They're so calming. They're so relaxing. And, you know, you think of nothing. It's great. Like Mario Golf on the N64 is perfect for that because if I'm having a shit day at work or, you know, my mantles and all that shit aren't doing great, I can just go in there and play 18 holes and, you know, go to bed. Kind of making me want to pick up real. Actually, I played a mario golf on the game boy advance and it was pretty fun but you're making me making me want to pick up real golf here 
well, I was going to say, when uh, when we were doing our playoff episode, when I did my first date at Juan de Fuca, I'm amazed that didn't want to make you take it up when I'm watching people take golf shots from the clubhouse. Oh, damn. Yeah. I've crushed Bucky's with some friends before, and that was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. I imagine playing actual golf would be really fun. Yeah, playing real golf is not too bad. I've only really gone out a couple of times, and they were at the... It was like a staff golf tournament, and every like three or fourth hole, the beer cart would come by, and this is where like sixty to eighty bucks in my back pocket fits out great because I, I asked the golf the the drink girl, I'm like, hey, uh, how by the way, how many beers can I get for twenty bucks? Fuck, I don't know, four. Okay, there you go. Give him four. <laughs> she gave me four beers, and by like I don't know how many holes in, like just the beer cans were falling out of the cart. Oh, God, the last time we went on a golf, not a golf trip, but we did, like, a staff golf tournament, my buddy, he nearly flipped the golf cart with me in it because he's, like, because he thought this was, like, Tokyo Drift or anything. He thought he could drift the golf cart with two of us in it, and he almost flipped it it on its side with me in it. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, Tim, I think we spend enough time talking about holidays and golf and retro video games. And given that it's been a long, long time since we've done this, and I feel the best way we should close out 2020 is by segueing into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. I was going to say, Tim, how long has it been... Yeah, I was going to say, how long has it been since we last did Top of the Hour? Do you recall? About nine months. About nine months? Yeah, yeah that, that sounds about right. I'm just trying to... Th- I couldn't think off the top of my head when the last time we actually did it, so... But, you know what? With 2020 being such a shit year, we decided to end off on a pause note by doing Top of the Hour once again. And we actually got to give a quick shout-out to Vegas Gold Knights defenseman Derek Englund, who has announced his retirement after an 11-year NHL career. Englund, who was drafted 194th overall by the New Jersey Devils in 2000, played for three teams, the Pittsburgh Penguins, Calgary Flames, and the Vegas Golden Knights, recording 30 goals, 97 assists for 127 points in 671 games. He will be joining the Golden Knights Foundation as the special assistant to the owner. I didn't realize he'd been around for so long. Yeah, I hadn't realized that either. Now, I did look into some of his stats for the first, like, nine years of his career. I think it was up until, like, 2009, 2010, he had played in the ECHL and the AHL for all that time. So, basically, he was a career minor leaguer up until 09, 10 when he made the NHL. That's actually pretty crazy. It is pretty crazy. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, and maybe I... Maybe this is not the guy I'm thinking of. When Vegas got their team, this is after like the Vegas shooting and all that. Wasn't he the guy that went in front of everybody in, with the Vegas strong stuff that you recall? Um, I don't recall, but that might be right. Yeah, I want to say he was right. It was one of the guys on that team because I think they were originally either they lived in Vegas or they're originally from Nevada. So I, yeah. I want to say it was Derek Anglin. I don't think you're wrong. Yeah, I don't know, and I totally agree. Like, it's hard to believe that England did have such a long career for a guy who was drafted in 2000 that 10 years later, he finally makes the NHL. Now, of course, the Devils in 2000, like, there was no way that England was going to make it as a rookie. When you think that Scott Stevens was there, Scott Niedermar was there, Ken Danico was there, 
who else was there? Uh, they had a couple other defensemen too. So yeah, I could I could see England not making the Devils roster, but years later he ended up making it. So hey, he's got 671 games under his belt, and we have none. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. Now we got to give another quick shout out, and this is actually a really sad one. Washington Capitals goalie Henrik Lundqvist has announced he will miss the entire 2020-21 NHL season due to a heart condition. Lundqvist, who was bought out by the New York Rangers in September, was signed by Washington in October to a one-year, $1.5 million contract. Now, it did come out, I believe, yesterday, or even today, that he has gone open-heart surgery. So, the best of luck in everything to Henrik. And it's really sad that this is potentially going to be how his career goes out because you know Henrik Lundqvist to me he's always going to be one of these guys like Carey Price that I think of this generation if he was to retire tomorrow there's a legit argument he could be probably the best goalie of the generation to not win a Stanley Cup I'd argue that like Henrik Lundqvist is probably one of the best goalies of the generation it's just he was always on those New York Rangers teams that were really good but just never got over the hump like, those teams were phenomenal. They were, but the Rangers is one of those teams that, even looking back on them, I always think it's amazing the amount of money they got thrown around on that team. And I hate to say it, but how little they really did get out of those guys. Because think of it, if with all the money the Rangers spent from 2005 up until the last couple of seasons, they only made the finals one time. Now, that, that, and that is partly saying about the Rangers' talent, but it also goes to show how good the Eastern Conference really was in that time period. Because think about it, you had teams like Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Boston, Boston always played, Philly always did. Just all these... Tampa was fantastic. The Habs were really good then. Washington, the Sen- even the Sens. Oh my god. That, you know what's funny, Tim? is Going back to 2017... When we beat Boston in the first round, and as soon as I knew we were going to play the Rangers, I thought, Christ, we're going to the Eastern Conference Finals. I knew we were going to beat New York. There was no way that we were going to lose to them again. Because even in 2012, even in 2012, watching that series, I'm thinking, like, there's no way that we should have lost to them that year. If it wasn't for Henrik Lundqvist standing on his head, that's the only reason they ended up beating us. True, true, true. The St. Louis Blues have oh. named Ryan O'Reilly the 21st captain in franchise history. O'Reilly, who is entering his third season with the Blues, is taking in work for Alex Petrangelo, who had served captain from 2016 until his departure in 2020. I don't think I could think of a better choice, honestly. Yeah, I honestly couldn't think of another guy on that Rangers team that, or sorry, not the Rangers, on the Blues, who just like logically would have made sense to be captain other than O'Reilly. Yeah. And that's such a far cry from uh, how the blues basically got Riley for free. It's true. It, it is true. But I often wonder how much of that was the blues knowing that Buffalo had no choice, but to get rid of O'Reilly when they did. That's true. Although it's funny because uh, I don't even blame O'Reilly for what happened in Buffalo. I blame Buffalo being Buffalo. Yeah, it's kind of like with Jack Eichel. Like, I don't blame him for wanting, well, potentially wanting out of Buffalo. I mean, honestly, if you were stuck on a team that hasn't gone forward, well, all, like, how the hell do you think, why would, would he want to stay? retire than actually play there? 
Yeah. Although I think with uh, with Patrick Berglund, I think there was more to it than just that. I think mental health was also an issue for him, as he's mentioned in the past. But, yeah, just going to a team like Buffalo that was on his no-trade list, that probably just did such a number on him that he didn't even want to continue. And then, like, just uh, like being part of that situation would probably be so damn depressing, too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it is pretty depressing, but, you know, Taylor Hall went there, so, I mean, how depressing could it really be? That's true, that's true. Yeah. So, Tim, let's turn our attention to a former team in our former division, because we got some Tampa Bay Lightning news to talk about. We're going to start off with the Tampa Bay Lightning have re-signed Anthony Shirelli to a three-year $14.4 million contract with an AAV 4.8. Chirelli recorded 16 goals, 20 assists for 44 points in 68 games for Tampa Bay last season. Not not a terrible contract here. No. I mean, it's tough when you just won the Stanley Cup. Although, like, $5 million for 44 points is a bit rough. But I, I often look at it the other way because with um, Kucherov being on LTIR, maybe... Shirelli and some of these other guys will now have a much, much bigger role in this team to produce offensively. That's true. That's true. Well, here's hoping anyway, right? Exactly. The Tampa Lightning have also signed defenseman Eric Cernak to a three-year $8.85 million contract with an AAV 2.95. Cernak recorded five goals, seven assists for 12 points in 67 games for Tampa last season. Cernak actually played pretty good from what I remember of the 2020 playoffs, which really only a few months ago, so I shouldn't be forgetting much here, but I don't think this is a terrible contract for what Cernak brings. No, which is it, absolutely. a and decent it, amount of puck support and a bit of grit. Yeah, and that's the funny thing. Like, this whole offseason with Tampa Bay re-signing these players... I often look at that and I'm just like, oh, good God, they signed him under team-friendly contracts. Like, look at Sergeyev. Think of all the money he could have gotten free agency if he was just like, yeah, you know what? No, I don't want to come back to Tampa and win another cup next year. But then again, you also have to be, yeah, I don't want to win another cup next year. True. Yeah, like, Cernak's young, too. He is young. So. It's amazing, eh, how young Tampa Bay still really is with all that talent that they have there. Like, I'm not even sure who's in their division next year. So, Christ, I mean, Tampa Bay, you could easily see them potentially not even losing a game to anybody in that division. Well, I mean, they've done it before in a stronger division, so. I know. (laughs) And then the Blue Jackets swept them. Yeah. It'll never stop being funny. It'll never stop being funny to me. Well, it's just like, what is, what the hell is this? I know. I mean, Christ, Urinating Tree's reaction to that was so perfect. Just that, wow. I mean, wow. You are pathetic. I mean, I knew you guys were ruining the cup, but you choked in game one of the first round? But at the same time, they did end up bringing it back next year, so you can't laugh at them too hard. True. I mean, now who do we laugh at in the NHL? Oh, the Leafs. 
Closing out the Tampa Bay Lightning news, they have also re-signed defenseman Jan Ruda to a two-year, $2.6 million contract with an AAV 1.3. Ruda recorded one goal, six assists for seven points in 33 games for Tampa Bay last season. Jan Ruda was... I'm actually kind of surprised that he kind of broke out a bit too, eh? I am. And you know what? Ruda is also a guy that... I'm not going to lie, I don't know if I ever really known who he was prior to this season. So for me, when you hear, you know, Tampa Bay gave him this contract, it's like, good for him, you know? I mean, Tampa, like we said, Tampa Bay is going to be such a strong team next year that, like, I don't know. I don't know, like, where their ceiling is. I don't even think they've hit it yet. Because, you know, once you win the Stanley Cup, most people think that's your ceiling right there, like you won. But Tampa Bay, they're so young, they're so good, and a lot of their guys are now hitting their prime. Well, the hard thing is just, like, no Kucherov does make that hurt. It's true, but... It is true, but, you know, the funny thing is, Tim, is that I still say... Like I said in the past, man, Tampa Bay, their talent's so good, they're so young, and they're just hitting their prime now. Yeah, no, like, I... It, they're going to be scary even without Kucherov just because of all the other surrounding talent they have. And Yanrud is a funny one because he had been bouncing around the NHL, well, more the AHL and NHL for years. And, like, he put in Yeoman's work in Tampa last season in kind of a limited role, but still he played quite well. So I think uh, good for him for getting a, a contract at age 29. The New Jersey Devils have re-signed goalie Mackenzie Blackwood to a three-year, $8.4 million contract with an AAV 2.8. Blackwood recorded a 22-14-8 record with a 2.77 goals against average and a .915 save percentage last season for New Jersey. This is a nice contract for a young goalie, but it's also a bit of a show-me contract. And I think... He's going to be good for New Jersey, and uh, they're smart to get him locked up. Uh, they probably couldn't get him for much term, but still a good contract for the Devils. It is a really good contract for New Jersey, and the fact is that when you saw how terrible New Jersey was last season, and the fact that I didn't even realize like Mackenzie Blackwood put up those, those are pretty good numbers for a team that was just not good last year. Like, I, I can't think of any other words to really describe it. Like, they say we're just not that good. Well, the thing about the Devils, well, like, Mackenzie Blackwood last year, is he had a bad start to the season. Like, we were talking, like, 90.9.88% rolling average is bad start to the season. But he really turned the corner going through 2019 into 2020 and finished off strong. We're looking at save percentages around 0.94. So, if... That's the Mackenzie Blackwood that we saw at the beginning of 2018. We're seeing it again at the end of 20. Sorry, at the beginning of 2020. Maybe that's the real Mackenzie Blackwood. And if that's the case, then uh, New Jersey has their starter for a while. I think so. I think for the Devils, though, I think having Corey Crawford there next year is definitely going to help Blackwood definitely develop into a starter. Because when you think of it, like really, New Jersey has not developed a number one starter since Martin Brodeur. And even then, like, he had Chris Terreri and he had Mike Dunham. Like, he had really, really good backups in New Jersey helping him. So, and I think when, for bringing in a Corey Crawford to that cheap deal, 
I think that's really going to help Mackenzie Blackwood because now he has a guy who's won three Stanley Cups. He can go to him and be like, hey, kid, you know, just give him a few pointers. And if he's having a bad game, you know, tell him to shake it off and just move on to the next game. Well, the other thing about Corey Crawford, too, is he's always been a good goalie in a tandem. So it works really well for developing Blackwood, and it kind of fits the way Corey Crawford's worked over his career as well. So it's such a win-win for for Corey Crawford, for Mackenzie Blackwood, and for the Devils. Like, that's why the Crawford signing by New Jersey is so good. The Buffalo Sabres have re-signed Casey Middlestead to a one-year, $874,000 contract with an... Well, I guess there was no AAV because that was the whole deal. Middlestead recorded four goals, five assists for nine points, and 31 games for Buffalo last season. Now, one thing about Middlestead, Tim... And I know earlier in this episode, we were talking about the World Juniors. Casey Middlestead is a guy who, his performance at the World Juniors a few years ago really elevated his stock to a point where Sabres fans were thinking, holy crap, we have the next great star player. And then when he, once he makes the NHL, like his game just doesn't translate. So I am very fascinated about this contract because, I mean, he's only 22. Yeah, he only has maybe one or two years under his belt, but... You know, for a guy who's 22, I often wonder, like, what is Buffalo going to do with Middlestead if he doesn't prove it this year with him? Like, would they just continue, or do they just cut him loose at this point? The fact that they signed it so short, it seems like a bit of a prove-me contract. Because, like, it's not worked out for them so far, but I think they've also been kind of pushing him out of his depth a bit. Because I think there was high hopes that Casey Middlestad would be able to just slot right in as a second-line center, and that's definitely... He may still become a second-line center in the NHL, but who knows? The worst-case scenario for the Sabres with Middlestad is, well, funnily enough, because he ended up there, Curtis Lazar. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good comparison, honestly, if he doesn't pan out. And I know... Middlestead, like I said, like he was a guy whose draft stock was so high when he came to Buffalo. And I often wonder if it was more the Sabres. I'm guessing the Sabres knew what they had because they probably they scouted him, they watched him. But I often wonder if it was just they threw him in the deep end too early to see if he can swim or sink. Yeah. This seems like a, a show me contract. And uh, we'll see what if Middlestead got better. I don't know if he's been playing in Germany or not this year, but uh, it might help. I think so. So we're going to turn our attention away from a current Buffalo Sabre to a former Buffalo Sabre. The Anaheim Ducks have re-signed Ryan Miller to a one-year, $1 million contract. Miller recorded a 9.64 record with a point with a 3.0 goals against and a 9.07 save percentage for Anaheim last season. Honestly... I think for Ryan Miller, I think this really is the end of the road. This is just this one-year, final-year contract, and then he just calls it a career. Because, I mean, the guy's like 40 years old now. Oh, yeah. I didn't even realize he still had gas in the tank. But for an Anaheim team that's in a transition zone, I think this works for them. And Ryan Miller's had a hell of a career, even though he, again, never... He was another one of those goalies that was very, very, very good, never won a cup. Ryan Miller... I think my opinion of him really hasn't been one that's been on par with a lot of people. Cause a lot of people have always said, Oh, Ryan Miller, he's such a great goalie, but I've always saw him as like a B plus goalie. 
in my personal opinion, maybe it's because he played on not very good Saber teams for a majority of his career, but I think for me, when I think of the superstars of that time, I think of, you know, the Henrik Lundqvist, the Carey Prices, guys like that, I just don't look at Ryan Miller the same way. Maybe it's a little bit of a bias because, you know, he was the starting goalie in Buffalo when the Sabres and the Senators were at their peak rivalry-wise of the late 2000s, but... I don't know. I mean, I'd be very interested to hear what your thoughts are on Ryan Miller. Ryan Miller, he is a skilled goaltender. I think you're right. I think he is kind of like the tier two of goaltenders from the mid to late 2000s, which is nothing to sniff at, right? No. So, like, I wouldn't put him on the same level as, say, Carey Price or Roberto, well, I guess from that time, be Henrik Lundqvist or Roberto Luongo. He's definitely a better goalie than, say, Evgeny Nabokov or like then Craig Anderson or something because this is just a goalie who he did very good solid work you could count on him for 0.92 probably 0.93 if you needed out of him and he was able to really shore up those Buffalo Sabres teams and I think he was instrumental in their 2007 run which was cut short by the Senators and he was a key part of that 2010 U.S. national team that took Canada to overtime at the Olympics I think uh, the Kind of the phrase that I could think of that really sums up Ryan Miller's career is always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Because remember, he ended up in Vancouver during the weird torts years after both Luongo Eddie and Eddie Lack. Yeah, yeah Eddie Lack was there after Luongo and Schneider ended up out the door in the same season. Yeah, it, it's crazy. And I know when we're talking about the the second tier of goalies, I would even say. Very, very arguably right at the top, I would say even Ilya Brzgalov. Like, if you look at his numbers in Arizona of those three years that he was really legitimately the starter there, the guy was fantastic. Yeah, it was weird that just he kind of fell off a bus. Yeah, it's true, but I often wonder how much of that was just all the circumstances of him playing in Philadelphia that really just got to him in the end. Yeah, well, it's like he really didn't fit in with that Philly team. And I know it's going to sound kind of weird to have this judgment from a TV show, but you could you could really see it in the twenty four seven series they did with Philadelphia, because you could kind of tell that they didn't really get a, a log, and most of the team thought he was some weirdo. It is true. I know even uh, Paul Bizanet on Spit and Chicklets said the same thing when he was teammates with him in Arizona. He says. He was just a one of the weirdest players he ever played with. Just hearing some of the shit Breeze would say to the camera was just like, you kind of wonder, it's like, he is kind of in his own world, but at the same time, he seemed like a pretty good guy. And like, when he was with NHL Network afterwards, that they just let him do shit, it was fucking hilarious. Oh, he was great. He was great. I think for me, my favorite Briz quote ever is when uh, he got the backup role in one of the Winter Classic games, and he's just like, hey, listen, I've got good news, and I've got even better news. The good news is that I'm not playing tomorrow night. The even better news is that we might have a chance to win. <laughs> so brutal. <laughs> it is brutal, but it's so good. So, Tim, we've got a couple of signings we need to talk about. The Washington Capitals have signed Connor Sherry to a one-year $735,000 contract. Sherry recorded nine goals, 10 assists for 19 points in 55 games for Buffalo, and one goal, three assists for four points in eight games for Pittsburgh last season. 
it's kind of funny that things started going Kadashiri's way as soon as he got out of Buffalo. I think we're, I think we're seeing a trend here with a lot of players like that. Because things just really weren't going the right way. Yeah. Honestly, I don't have much to say about it. I mean, it's a definitely a depth pickup, even a taxi squad signing for Washington. So, it's all right. Yeah, like, it, it works. Yeah. Just like this one. The Nashville Predators have re-signed Michael Granlin to a one-year, $3.75 million contract. Granlin recorded 17 goals, 13 assists for 30 points, and 63 games for Nashville last season. I do like the Mikhail Granlin signing, though. Because it is just a really function for a very functional player who can play up and down your lineup. This works really well, especially with losing a bit of that forward depth a bit. It kind of shores things up. Uh, Overall, I do like this signing. Well, I was going to say, I know that he's definitely trying to shore up the National Predators. Like, what do you think about that cap hit, though? 3.75. Is it me or does that just seem a little bit too rich for a one-year contract? Uh, that might be a bit too rich for a one-year contract for an older Mikhail Granlund. Like, that's the thing is, he's at his prime at 28. If you're paying him for second line, well, if he can do second line duties competently, 3.75 is a steal. Yeah, but it remains to be seen at this point whether he can really be that, though. Yeah, if he can be that, this is a great contract. If he can't, then it is a bit rich for a third liner. But the thing is, is Grandlin can play up and down the lineup, which is super valuable in a season where weird things will happen. It's true, especially because the season's only going to be 56 games and it's super compressed too, eh? It is, and that's why I'm really... I think the more I think about the Taxi Squad, or in Ottawa's case, Uber Squad, I honestly think it's a it's a really great thing to get all these guys signed up. Yeah, so like, we're going to get to the sense stuff in a minute, but uh, yeah, I think I'm fine with Pierre Dorian picking up all these cheap veterans and being kind of the league's capped up. Yeah. Sticking with the Nashville Predators, the Nashville Predators have re-signed Eric Howla to a one-year, $1.75 million contract. Howla recorded 12 goals, 10 assists for 22 points in 41 games for Carolina, and two assists in seven games for Florida last season. You know, I wasn't really sure on the Howla trade from Florida's perspective last year. It is true. It made absolutely no sense because Florida wasn't a playoff team last year. And I think even you and I in our trade deadline episode said that. We're like, what the hell are they doing? Like, this makes no sense. Yeah, the nice thing is, is this shores up the Nashville center a bit. With the decline of Ryan Johansson, that's become a bit of an area of weakness with Matt Duchesne being your... Well, Matt Duchesne is a very good center, but he's your only real center. So, like, the forwards quickly became an area of weakness for the Nashville Predators. Hollis shores that up a bit, giving them, like, a solid third-line pivot. Because Turris sure as heck wasn't working out in Nashville. No, and I think it was just a different scheme for what he needed. But I will say one thing about Eric Hollis, though. If they get two players on his line that also have the B and the K, they can uh, do the new version of the HBK line. Noise. Yeah. 
The Arizona Coyotes have signed forward Drake Gagula to a one-year, $700,000 contract. Cagula recorded nine goals, six assists for 15 points in 40 games for Chicago last season. Cagula is a really nice depth pickup. Like, cheap guy does good work, and for a team that's looking to shed salary, that's what you want to see. The, the, the Coyotes are not going to be a playoff team anytime soon. No. And it's a shame because they did have a lot of nice young talent. And they did try to put something together last year, but they didn't try hard enough. It's weird because I do like the Coyotes' back. Like, the Coyotes' defense is really nice with with OEL, Golgoski, Schuster, and Demirs. And with uh, a late career, Jarmelson to round it out. Like, that's actually pretty pretty nice defense unit. Mm-hmm. It's just that forward group is pretty rough. And it's, as we're going to discuss later, it's going to get rougher. Drake Kaguli is a nice pickup, and I think it helps kind of the, the depth a bit there. I think so. And, I mean, definitely, he's definitely a well-needed pickup because... Closing out top of the hour, the Arizona Coyotes have traded Derek Steffen for a 2020, no sorry, 2021 second round pick from the Ottawa Senators. Steffen recorded 10 goals, 18 sets for 28 points in 70 games for Arizona last season. I am hoping that Stepan's decline has mostly been secular due to the way that he was coached in Arizona, because you can kind of just see him fall right off as soon as he's traded from New York. It is true. It is true. But you know what? I think at first sense, Twitter was very mixed, mostly negative. Because you're thinking, what the hell are we? Yeah, well, yeah, it's since Twitter, right? But this is a thing for us. It was just like, what the hell are we trading this guy for a second pick and whatever? And people on Twitter are like, Dude, that's the Blue Jacket second round pick. That's going to be a low second. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, like, I have no problem with it. But the more I look at that roster, the more that... <sighs> I, I don't want to say it's a an improved roster. Because I look at some of the players like the Galchenyuks, the Watsons, guys like that. I don't know if this is an improvement or it's simply just shoring up a lot of holes from last year um i think it's an improvement honestly i wouldn't be surprised if guys like watson and galchenyuk start the year on the taxi squad and the nice thing is is like if you do put like uh one of anisim put anisimov also on the taxi squad that gives you spots for josh Bre- sorry josh norris and logan brown on the wings you've got a nice spot for drake batherson you've got dad enough Brown, and if you put Watson on the taxi squad, that's a spot for maybe Shlopik. So you have the space to start easing people in. If Galchenyuk starts on the taxi squad, that's a you have room for Stutzel and another person for the another young guy, maybe Abramov. Yeah. So like, there is room to ease the young guns in and keep some of these cheap vets on the taxi squad, or the, and then rotate the Uber them group. Up, rotate them through, right? Yeah. I was going to say, Tim, can we just, because when talking about Ottawa's taxi squad, can we start talking about the Uber group? The Uber group? Yes. Uh, that, hard to say. That will be the code name for Ottawa, just the Uber group. But no, I think, I don't mind the Derek Stepan trade, and like, it's the Columbus pick, 
And do you want to add a trade to talk about? You don't have it written down, but it happened yesterday, and I think we'd be remiss not to talk about it. Sure. The Ottawa Senators and Tampa Bay Lightning make another very Ottawa Senators-Tampa Bay Lightning trade. The Senators send Senators' longtime favorite Marion Gaborik, Anders Nilsson, to the Tampa Bay Lightning. In return, Tampa Bay Lightning sends the Ottawa Senators Tampa Bay's second-round pick, Braden Coburn, and Anthony Cernak. Sorry, yeah, Anthony Cernak. No, it's not Cernak. No, uh, it's, uh, Cedric uh, uh, Paquet, I think it's called. Paquet. Cedric Paquet, yeah. And, you know, this feels like a rerun of a trade Ottawa and Tampa Bay did last year, where Tampa took Condon for a sixth. Yeah, this is a really weird one. And I think, I think for me, it was an odd trade for a couple of reasons. Number one, Marion Gabrick is entering the final year of his Robot Island stay. And I think, uh, I, I, you might have to look up the, the stats here, Tim, but I think Anders Nilsson was kind of in the same boat too. Yes. Yeah, so. This is why it's such a good trade for Ottawa. Well, it's a trade that works for both teams. Ottawa helps Tampa Bay with their cap crunch for this year only by trading LTIR players that Ottawa wasn't using to a team that desperately needed it, they got a second, as well as some warm bodies for the taxi squad. This is a very good trade for the Senators. And what's nice is the Senators have preserved a lot of that cap room for next year when the cap crunch is going to be just as bad. It's it's so true. It's so true. But you know what? The nice things about going to a team like Tampa Bay for Gabby and Nilsson is that hey, at least they're going to go to someplace warm to finish out their careers. Well, the other thing is no tax. I know. No tax, no rain, no snow. It sounds pretty good. The only thing I can think of is, uh, and this is for Anders Nilsson, if maybe his the concussion symptoms do lessen, he might get some reps in Syracuse. Well, here's hoping anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame because I did like it. Anders Nielsen was a serviceable start, surprisingly serviceable starter for the Ottawa Senators. And overall, apparently very good guy in the locker room, and it's a shame his career ended the way it did. But this is a great asset management move by the Senators. I totally agree. I totally agree. And, you know, I don't really have anything to really add to this, Tim. I, I think this is really great that we could do one final top of the hour for 2020. And we'll definitely be bringing it back in 2021. Yeah, I guess uh, the only thing left to do is uh, how have you how have you felt overall about the wheeling and dealing that Pierre Dorian has done? Honestly, I'm very happy about it. I think it for me it just kind of came out of nowhere. To be honest with you, I think that's that's always the big thing with Pierre Dorian is that he doesn't really give the fans any real. You know, any impression that, okay, he's going to make a move, he's going to make do something here, and what does he do? He gets guys in, he starts making signings, he signed Tim Stutzla. Like, it's just like, holy shit, what's going on here? Like, something doesn't feel right. Like, the Ottawa Senators are making the news for good reasons? Well, it's funny because, uh, like, the Derek Stepan move was, it was in the rumor mill for a while, eh? It was, and, and I think, I think we Tampa talked about it, too. For Nielsen. So it's like, you, if you pay attention to the rumor, will it? Mill, you won't be, you won't be like, you'll be able to kind of see a bit of what Pierre Dorian's aiming for. It is true, but the only thing is, Tim, is that, and maybe it's 
because of the market, because of the fact that we're rebuilding, I think that fans could look at that rumor mill and been like, okay, the Sens aren't bringing that guy in. They're not going to be making a trade for this person. They're not signing this guy. And then Pierre Dorian is just to be like, bada bing, bada boom, Tim Stutzel. Done. Yes. No, and I'm actually pretty happy with that. Overall, this offseason, I'm pretty happy with Pierre Dorian's work. And I guess I tend to be a bit more positive. I think I'm someone who does like the general direction that Pierre Dorian takes things. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I've been very happy. Obviously, and he's answered a lot of questions that were needed to be answered. Like, what about our goalie situation? Well, he brought Matt Murray in. What about scoring? He brought Evgeny Dadunov in. What about bottom six guys? Well, look at everybody he's brought in right now. Yeah, like, I think the only thing that Ottawa really needs at this point is just one of the many center prospects to take, like, to take a big step and maybe get one more bona fide top pick. And I think the Sens are good to go because, uh, Sam, like, uh, Sanderson looks really good so far in the World Juniors, and I think he even though I might have wanted a more offensively inclined defenseman in the draft, I think Sanderson's people are saying that Sanderson is the real deal. So I'm going to be happy with that. And Shabbat is, well, Shabbat, Shabbat, Brady Kachuk is going to be elite. And he already is. It's just going to see where the rest of the young talent in Ottawa falls. Absolutely. I think the one guy for me, and I don't know about you, I'm actually very fascinated to see how Eric Branstrom is going to do next year for, I have a real soft spot for Branstrom. I think because I watch him and I'm just like, you can tell the talent's there. You can tell his hockey IQ is there. You can tell he has everything. He just has to apply it to the NHL level. Yes. And people are saying in the AHL level, like it's, he's insane. It's just, I think he needs a bit of time. One that I've heard uh, from the Sens informal practices that the players have been doing. Yep. Artem Zub has been impressing people. I actually didn't hear about it this time, to be honest with you. Yeah, so like if Artem Zub comes in and just slots nicely into the, a second pairing role on the right, Ottawa's in a really good place. Yeah, well, I'd be very interested to hear about who's going to start with Shabbat next year because we've heard so many th- reports about Erica Branson starting with him with potentially they might move... Josh Brown to the number one pairing with Shabbat. So it'll be very interesting to see who actually starts the season with him. I hope it's not Branson, but <laughs> Ugh, God. my guess is it's prop. They're probably going to go with Zaitsev again. True. Yeah. Show him off with the best player on the team. And then when Seattle comes a call in 2021, be like, Hey, here's this Russian defenseman we have. He's good now. Yes. It'd be interesting to see, uh, who actually gets protected on Ottawa. And I think, well, the nice thing for the Senators is they have a lot of options and a lot of the guys, they don't even have to, like they don't have to protect in because they're not going to be eligible anyway. Like they don't have to protect Stutzel. They don't have to protect Norris. They don't have to protect Batherson. I don't think they even have to protect Shabbat. Or Kachuk. Or Kachuk. Yeah. So it's, the Senators are in a fantastic place. Yeah. Well, also you got to realize about all these guys are bringing them to the taxi squad or, uber group i guess if you want to do for ottawa maybe that's another reason why pierre Dorian's making all these moves maybe he's making room for a potential to see who seattle takes in the expansion draft yeah pretty much yeah. so like i'm not too worried and i'm excited to see where the season goes 
Absolutely, man. And hey, guess what? We're only about, what, three weeks away from that, so... Holy crap. I know. Well, almost... So, Ottawa Senators hockey is so close, man. Oh, I know. It's going to be so good. So good. <laughs> well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the hour for this week, which can mean only I one think thing... that's it for tonight. Oh, no, Tim. We still got some more stuff to talk about, but we are going to take a really, really? quick break here, and we will return to talk about 2020, the year of COVID. Coming right back. Hi, sports fans. This is Bruce Firestone, founder of the Ottawa Senators. You are listening to the Third Line Plug, Sanscast. Okay, we are back. So, Tim, given that we only really talked about the Ottawa Senators for a couple of months this season, we are going to entitle this episode, as we said earlier, 2020, Welcome to the COVID Year. So this is going to be our year-end recap episode. Now, as I said earlier in this episode, at this time of the year, like we would be doing our first half recap or our Christmas episode. Now, given COVID, kind of wiped that out. And our recap episodes are really the only thing that we could really do because, and I didn't realize until we started putting this together, we did a lot of episodes this, this year. Yeah, well, it's like, Especially since we only really had until March of regular season episodes. So we lost about, yeah, we lost March, April. We lost the last few weeks of March and the, the first week of April. So that's five regular season episodes is all we really lost. Yeah. But you know what, though, Tim? Even though we lost five or four to five regular episodes, we still got a lot of episodes out of it. Now... Before we go any further, though, I do got to give a personal thank you to the listeners. So, first of all, thank you so much to everybody out there who listened to the Third Life Plug Sensecast in 2020. Thank you so much for communicating with us on Twitter. Thanks so much for offering us some suggestions on episodes we should do. And, you know, I can't wait for 2021 because this is honestly going to be a great year. We've got our season four coming up. We've got a lot of lot more content that we can produce for the listeners and i'm honestly looking forward to getting it going yeah yeah and we'll have sense hockey to talk about absolutely absolutely like it's going to be a really really great year and hey if tim stutzler can make the nhl we're gonna have a lot of content and even some episodes in uh german well, uh, well not us speaking, i don't know how to speak Deutsch. well not <laughs> us speaking german but you know the episode names will be in german yeah okay so Tim, we got a we got a few things we got to talk about. Now I feel the best way to do this is talking about 2020 in general because nobody has ever really experienced a year like 2020. And it started off so terribly with the death of Kobe Bryant, the Australian bushfires, everything that was going on negatively in the world. COVID then ended up happening. Sports got wiped out. The world just came to a complete halt. And overall, it was just a year of negative. And I think that we should just get some thoughts on the year itself in general, both from the podcast and personally. Wait, Kobe died this year? He died in January. Holy crap, that felt like forever ago. I know, right? Like, it's insane. The year that Kobe died is the year that COVID happened. Yeah. Jesus Christ. It's amazing how time flies, eh? It is. It is true, man. So, I'm going to let you talk a little bit about 
2020 just for yourself because I mean you had a, you did some really great stuff in 2020 including buying a house including almost breaking a CRTV as we <laughs> mentioned earlier in this episode so I'm gonna let you take the floor just 2020 in general for you yourself like how would you describe it overall uh it's funny because like my work wasn't changed at all because like I was already working remotely so there was pretty much no real disruption to that other than uh I got some extra COVID work to do with respect to modeling and doing some more economic research that way so it kind of just kind of it changed a few of the topics I was working on the big thing it really was was just kind of a disruption to having a normal people social life with all that stuff moving online but otherwise yeah it's just other than being kind of cooped up and then getting enough of that buying a house and like i was already looking into buying a house so it's like i wouldn't i'm not sure how much my life actually changed due to covid maybe at this house wouldn't have been available at this price i don't know it is true and i mean definitely for yourself i mean buying that house i would say that was probably the biggest thing in 2020 that you've done so far yeah, probably. I don't even know if that's uh, a probably, Tim. I mean, you <laughs> bought a house. Yeah, I bought a house. But it's like, at, at the same time, there's some work stuff that I'm doing that I'll probably get another nice publication out of. I'll probably be presenting it at uh, Canadian Economics again, so that's super nice as well. Um, can't really say too much until we get all of the deep, like all of the paperwork filed and an abstract written. But uh, I think uh, we've got, yeah, a lot of stuff. A lot of good stuff happened in that regard, but, uh, yeah, no, kind of missed the social life aspect and hopefully things get a bit more normal in 2020, uh, on the social side, on the internet, I guess, uh, I did end up hosting a virtual card game league called the road to the Tim Invitational, And, uh, we ended up streaming the finals for it. I was hoping to do the finals in person, but that obviously didn't come to fruition. So we streamed, uh, the final match on Twitch two weeks ago. Yeah, so that was actually super fun too. So all in all, 2020 on like professional end and like social end, it got kind of weird professional end. Things didn't really change that much. I just have a house now. And uh, hopefully uh, fun stuff will happen in 2021. I might I might actually get out, hopefully get out traveling again. That'd be nice. Yeah. like I miss that a lot. <laughs> that was one thing I know you and Chelsea did quite a bit of in the last couple of years. Like, I've really gotten back into knowing you guys is that i know you went to japan a number of times you went to california you came out here you went to well i guess going to ottawa for work was sort of a thing you already did but yeah definitely that was something that i did think about when it came to you guys when covid first hit and the travel stopped because i know that that's something you guys always love doing going to like anime conventions and stuff like that so but i gotta ask though in 2021 when covid starts slowing down and we're eventually allowed to travel again like where's the first place that you're going to be going to do you like do you have a rough idea of that what's that's going to be it's going to depend when we're allowed like when we're allowed to travel right if it if we're allowed to travel next summer i'm going to try and get those olympic basketball tickets i want to see japan get dumped on by the u.s yeah that's honestly a really really great idea i'm not going to lie to you And I'm going to drag my poor wife to watch while I'm decked out at Star Spangled Banners. It's going to be a fun time. Oh, God. And you know what, though, Tim? I can I can actually really see you doing that, too. 
The only yeah, thing I could I could see more is if it was like one of those like John Daly fucking golf um, suits he used to wear on their links. Oh shit, the America suit. Yes, and, and you'd have to shave it into your hair into a mullet because I mean your hair is kind of long right now. So. Oh yeah, uh, if I shaved the top, I would have a mullet. Because yeah. yeah, we're down to neck length, boys. We're da- sorry, I mean we're down to shoulder length, boys. I know, buddy. I know the uh, the the lettuce there is getting pretty electric over there. <laughs> yeah. So how how was twenty twenty on your end? I have to say twenty twenty was probably one of the most challenging years I think overall, just because obviously for me and I know for yourself, like work really wasn't affected, but my life was because you think about it, right? Because in March we were in the middle of spring break. COVID wiped out work for me. So I was pretty much off work until July. So I was off work this whole time. I was just at home doing nothing, driving myself crazy. The only thing that kept me sane was doing this podcast because the podcast was really one of the few things that kept me sane because it was just, it's something that I kept my mind busy. It kept, you know, occupied. I stayed busy, tried to stay because if it wasn't like my mental health was just, deteriorating so rapidly over five months i just i couldn't do it anymore i was just like i can't be cooped up in this fucking house anymore i can't just do nothing anymore yeah well especially like it's one of those things that uh just looking at uh the covid situation was i was counting my lucky stars i had work to do yeah i mean it was really tough and i think for me like many many canadians like i was on serp and i did have a top up from work so financially i was doing i was actually doing much much better than i ever thought but yeah it's just one of those things where like yeah financially it was good to be on serp and yes i did put money away so i could pay the taxes back whenever later on but it was just one of those things for me where it's like yeah that's cool that i have this money in the bank but I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. Yeah, and it's funny because, like, if you look at the macroeconomic trends, that's what everyone was doing with the CERT money. They were putting away. They were paying down debt because what the fuck else am I going to do other than give money to Amazon or Disney? Yeah, or Netflix. Or Netflix, yeah. So it's like, yeah, people just saved a shitload of money this year. It is true. And, I mean, I think for myself that... I was pretty good. Like, I didn't spend a lot of money during it. Like, obviously, I, I bought a few things off Amazon and whatever over the those past months. But I think for me, it was just, it was a very, very challenging year. And I know at the beginning of this year, I can't recall what episode I talked about. I talked it during the Bell Let's Talk Day about my issues with depression and my mental health stuff. And I think one thing that really came up this year for me was that in September, I finally started talking to a counselor. Oh, nice. And that was something that, it was a long time in the making. It was a long time of thinking like, oh, you know, I'm, I'll be all right, I'll be all right. And then I just broke. Mm. I just went to my boss and I just was like, I can't do this. Because um, I have a friend of mine, I won't mention their name, but in September, my one of my friends that I work with had an anxiety attack when I was there. And so I went over there at like 10, 30 at night when he's having an anxiety attack to calm him down. I left about 2 a.m. driving home. I was just like, what the fuck did I just see? And that probably that's what it broke me right there was knowing that 
my friend was suffering. I couldn't do anything to help him. And the next day, I just went to my boss and said, I can't do this anymore for him. I just, I couldn't, I had it through my hands up in the air. I just said, listen, like, I don't know, I, I can't do it. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that you're able to get access to someone like that quickly, eh? Yeah, well, I think for us, because we are very fortunate through work that we have our emergency assistance program. So basically, yeah. we have counselors, we have those people to talk about stuff. And I think, and I've talked about losing my brother years ago, and I think a lot of it had to do with that too, is that I think there's a lot of unresolved issues from my brother's death, from help, trying to help one of my buddies out with his mental stuff. And I think for me, it just, it got to a point where I just said, I can't do it anymore. Like I need to start talking to somebody and it was very helpful. And I think the one thing I took away from that is that, as the counselor said, I was telling her about my brother. She told me, she says, you know, one of the right main reasons I'm thinking that you are the way you are is because you know, you couldn't help your brother when you lost him. So you overcompensate for trying to help people that you can. Mm. And I look back on it. Like I, there's been friends of mine that I've definitely talked about their mental health issues and, you know, I've had friends of mine whose relationships had ended or they were having mental issues or whatever, and I tried to help them. And, you know, for me, it just wore on me really bad, and it got to a point where I needed to talk to somebody. Yeah. It's awesome that you were able to get that, you know? Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. So we're going to turn our attention to something a little bit more positive. Now, in 2020, as I mentioned, we got a lot a lot of content out of the podcast this year. So overall, like all the work that we've put into, and we've definitely going to talk about some episodes here in a few moments, but just overall in general, like how do you feel 2020 was for the third night plug Sensecast? You know, it's kind of hard because like as much as like things kind of been weird, it's like new, like our usual rhythm was thrown off. We did a lot of cool stuff. Like uh, I think one of those kind of, Oh, we're, we're a SenseCast doing cool SenseCast sort of stuff moments was when we got to interview uh, Bruce Firestone. Talking to the founder of the franchise, you realize that it's like, oh, we're actually kind of talking to people actually involved with the Ottawa Senators, and it's really cool. It is. And the one thing that I definitely took away from that is it was so cool to see that because you're college educated, he's college educated, just having you and him having that conversation about non-hockey related issues i honestly thought i should have just pulled back and let you guys talk for an hour and i just should have just recorded because i honestly would have been fascinated just to see what comes out of it Uh, i'll have to re-listen to that episode because i think i do remember asking about like transit management issues and stuff but i can't remember all of what we talked about to be frank i know and i i definitely have thoughts about the the interview we did with dr bruce firestone which we'll talk about in a little bit so I think for myself, if I had to sum up 2020 as a year for the podcast, I had to be proud. Because think about it. We didn't have hockey to talk about. The world had just completely stopped. And we still went out and we still produced content that we would have done regardless. But I think the fact is that we continue to have a steady stream of content coming out every single week or every other week sometimes. And we did a lot of really, really cool things, including interviews. We got to do, you know, we got to bring back some old episodes. We got to debut some new episodes and some new segments. And that was really, really cool that we got to do that in 2020. Well, one of the funny things is I think uh, just because we were able to still 
create sense content uh, we got a lot of people just coming in listening because we had well we people wanted sense content and we had it it's true and to think that a lot of the sense podcasts out there just really weren't putting out a ton of content now obviously that's such a blanket statement because i'm thinking of like locked on sense who honestly bent us over just made us their bitch by having you know tim stutzla and igor shotikov and these guys on their show it's just like you son of a bitch <laughs> so like look i'm not jealous i okay i'm a little bit jealous okay, of that I'm, jealous, but... I'm a little bit jealous <laughs> but still you know it's still very cool that still sense podcasts were putting out so much content and i know that somebody had put up on twitter that people should stop creating these podcasts and i went on a whole twitter rant about it and we got a lot a lot of support about that so yeah proud is probably the best word to describe the work and the hours that we've put into this show in 2020 yeah no and uh, i think we have a lot of great episodes to show for it like uh top five actual good things about the senators was a really fun episode to do so was like the best uh like top centers of the 2010s or uh, our ring of honor episode remember the ring of honor oh yeah i remember the ring of honor <laughs> yeah so let's talk about the covid episodes now as i said we had a lot of returning off-season episodes that we had done in the past and we brought them back once again uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame wish list for 2021, which was really, really great. Until you find out there's not going to be a 2021 class. Alfredson robbed again. Uh, I'm not going through this again. I, I No, I've, I'm not going through it. And we did so many things. One of my favorite segments I love doing was redraft. And redraft is one of those things where it's just you and I nerding out about hockey for an hour and a half. Yeah, just picking an odd draft, and the, I think my favorite parts of redraft are the parts where we get to something, and we're you're like, oh, this team would have taken this person. No, they wouldn't have. Tim, it's just the list. But also, I think they would have taken this. <laughs> but I think that it's very cool to see that you have two very, very different perspectives on how you would put a team together. Like, when we did our 2003 redraft, I can't remember which team, I think it was Columbus, Columbus had, like, the fifth or sixth pick, and I says they would have taken Dion Phaneuf. You says, no, they would have taken Jeff Carter. And I argued that they wouldn't have taken Jeff Carter because Carter was more ranked in the middle, not in the top ten. Mm-hmm. Well, I was like, they were looking for someone who had the potential to fill a net and get asses in seats. It is true. It is true, but you know what? I think, looking back, I still stand by my statement about... Dion, I says, because think of it, you would have Rick Nash up front to build around, and you have Dion on the back end to build around. That would be a very sad time, but, but I'd say 2020 as all things. Exactly. I mean, we can't forget that Dion from North in 2005 when he joined the NHL, this kid was, this guy was looked at as like the next level shit. Because when he comes in and scores 20 goals, and he just looks like a way, way better version of Scott Stevens with more of an offensive upside. You like, yeah, you sit up and take notice that the Toronto years happened. Yeah. And then the Ottawa years happened. He honestly didn't look too bad in 2016, 2017. Uh, I know that you just mentioned a few moments ago about the top five actual good things about the Ottawa centers. This is a segment 
I think when the Senators start doing good, it'll be very sad to see this is the one segment that ends up going away in the end. I don't know. I think we should still have, like, our... We don't have to call it top five good things, but we could, I think we should still have a gratitude episode. Yeah. Like, it's just healthy. It is very healthy, and I think for us, that was one of the things that when we started this podcast a few years ago was that we knew the year was shit. We knew this team was not good. But it was nice to talk about actual good things, which is why yeah. we call it the type of actual good things about the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, yeah. So I think, like, once the good things get more plentiful, and they will, they will. Yeah. Like, just having our favorite happenings from the Sens season is a healthy thing to have, and I think uh, we should keep doing it. Now, one episode that we're definitely going to be continuing is our yearly draft class episode. Now, for us this year, I knew we were going to get a lot of content out of it, but I was actually more amazed of the content we got out of the trades that happened at that time, like the Matt Murray trade when they brought in Dadanoff, and we bring those kind of guys in. There was big. It was. Looking back at it, I'm surprised that's, that episode is, and you're going to scoff, only 90 minutes, but we covered a lot of shit. We did, but the, I think, you're right, I could probably scoff at that, but again, when you get into the later rounds, like, we drafted that goalie out of Finland, and there was absolutely no information on him. Well, it's like, even center, Central Scouting, Bob McKenzie, they stopped ranking at, like, 250, I think? Yeah, and then, you know, what sends prospects, I don't even think was even covering that guy. Yeah, no. So it's like, at that point, it's... And I think we've done it in previous draft episodes where it's like, we picked up this guy. What do we know about him? Uh, we know his name. Okay. Moving on. Yeah, we've, we've done that enough to know that we should not do that. Yes. Now, I will say one thing, Tim. Uh, a good buddy of mine who did listen to our draft episode, he did scoff at the fact that I couldn't pronounce the German Elite League Hockey, you know, the, the actual name. Oh, Bundesliga? You mean the Deutsch East Hockey Liga. Deutsch East Hockey Liga. Yeah, the DEL. Mm. So, fuck you, Andrew. Um, Wait, Bundesliga is soccer. No, that's uh, that's the German Elite League for hockey. Oh, Bundesliga's? No, it's like uh, Bunde... Yeah, Buga... I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I know uh, Kevin, one of the guys I follows on Twitter, who is actually German. He'll just, oh, he's ready. He'll just laugh at us. Oh God, he'll crucify me for even trying to pronounce it. Mm. Yeah. So one of the great things about the COVID episodes, Tim, is that we got to debut a brand new segment called the Sens Trade Tree, and the one that we did was from 1995, when the Ottawa Senators traded the rights to Brian Burrard to the New York Islanders for Wade Redden. Yeah, and I'm always fascinated by trade treats, you know? Because it's like, wait, we're still getting dividends from this? It's true. The one takeaway that I definitely got from doing this trade tree episode, I think, I don't know if it was a something that at the time I really thought about, but it was something that the more and more I thought about it, I don't know how meaty of an episode we really got out of it. If that makes any sense to you. Because for me, I just looked back at it and I was like, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a good segment. I, I don't know if it would be the great, best segment we've ever done, but it was no, good. No, I think we probably need to... There's got to be a way to reinforce it a bit more, you know? 
It's true. And I mean, I think because that's a trade that really... When you look at some of the picks and they don't make the NHL, it's like, well, what the hell do we even talk about? Like the Leafs. The Leafs had, what, three guys of that? And I don't think any of them really made the NHL. Yeah. And, like, I think it really is a sense-focused episode because, like, you can spend so much time talking about Wade Redden. You could. And, I mean... And it ends with Nick Paul, if I, if I remember correctly. I think so, yeah. I think, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to double-check on that. But, I mean, yeah, we've we've thrown around the idea of potentially bringing it back. I know the big one would be Hosa for Heatley. And I think that would be a pretty meaty episode if we get around to doing that. I love how that ends with Marion Gaverick on Robota Island. I know. Actually, you know what? I was just thinking about this today. If you were to tell a Senators fan in 2000 when they looked at the top three picks of that draft, 20 years later, two of the three would have been Ottawa Senators at one point. They wouldn't believe you. No. And that guy wasn't Rick DiPietro. <laughs> Crazy Mike Milbury. Ah, uh, I know, I know. Do you want to just do a biography on Mike Milbury? <laughs> oh, God. Just over. Just look at all the trades and all the bad mistakes he's made. Maybe, yeah. There you go, people. Maybe that's a potential 2021 episode right there. Either that or get Alexei Yashin on the podcast. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if Alexei would do it. That's the only thing. Yeah, it's worth a shot. Yeah, you never know, right? Well, I guess the question is, how do we make the shot? Does he still have an agent? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the great segments that we always do every year is our first and second half recaps. Now, the first half recap, we got to talk with Alex Metzger from Last Word on Hockey. Our second half recap, we actually got to talk with Brandon Mackey from Silver 7 Cents and Internal Budget. And... I think this was a really good segment. I think for me, no disrespect to Alex, but I think this is the one that I always end up going back to. Number one, because we got a lot of content out of it, but also because, like yourself, Brandon Mackey is a varsity blue. To be fair, he did his undergrad at UOT, so he definitely spent more time in Toronto than I did. So it's like we have a very different experience with U of T. You're both, you both went to U of T, Tim. Jeez. <laughs> Just admit you're yeah, both like varsity SDS blues. Is so different. Look, can you just admit you're both varsity blues and move on? Okay. Okay. So overall, like, how did you enjoy talking with well both Alex and Brandon on our recap episodes? They're both great guys to talk to, and they both bring such different energy. I think so. I think so, and I think the energy that Brandon and Alex brought on. Our podcast definitely translate onto theirs. I know, like, I haven't really kept up with Alex's podcast, but I have tried my best to keep up with internal budget. And, you know, I, I am very proud of Brandon to see how far he, he's taken that podcast because, like, I remember listening to the first couple of episodes and you could tell he was just like us when we first started. Like, he was pretty nervous. You can kind of tell in his voice. But the more and more he started talking, the more comfortable he got. And I, I definitely noticed that when he talked with Haley Salavan. Uh, when Ian Mendez came on with some of the other people, he, he had Trevor Shackles on just recently as we did. So I'm very proud of Brandon with internal budget and how far he's taken that. And I can't wait to continue listening in 2021. Yeah, no, uh, he's, it's been awesome to watch that podcast grow and uh, probably keep listening. For sure, man, for sure. So a couple of more COVID episodes we did end up doing, and these are Senators related. 
I know. Hard to believe, right? We're a Senators podcast. We talk about Sen stuff. But one of the best episodes I think that we got a lot of content out of, the top five greatest Senators of the 2010s. Well, think about it. We've had 10 years to think about it. It's so true. It's so true. But you know what? It's very interesting when I went back and listened to that episode recently, just two very different ways of putting that list together. Because when it came to your list, you went for more of the off-high stuff. I went with more of the on-high stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of my biggest criteria for being being part of it's okay, greatest ten years, not the goat, is you gotta be there. You gotta have like that famous light bulb clutching clinch moment. And it's funny because we I think we ended up having the same top two players. We did, which was uh, Eric and Anderson. Yeah, but it's like you gotta have like where we kind of agreed in the disagreed in the middle was I think I had that very strong criteria of you had to have that big lightning grab moment. Yeah, and I think and you also cheated and having had two people at numbers th- at number three. Okay, well you know what, I've explained my reasoning for that. Mr. I'm gonna make a top five list include six people. You know what, <laughs> I explained my reasoning. I will not back down on that. But I will say one thing about my top... Shut up, Tim. I will say one thing about my top five is my inclusion of Chris Neal. As much as I love Chris Neal personally, he was one of my favorite senators when I first got into watching the team. While I will always say that I feel he deserves to be in the top five, the more and more I think about it, the more I think Mike Fisher should have been there instead of him. Because... Even though Chris Neal did change the culture of the Senators when he arrived, Mike Fisher is still the greatest second-line center the Senators have ever had. Bar none. That's fair. Because think of it. In all of the years the Senators had the best success, or their greatest success, who was their second-line center? Fish. It was Fisher. Spets number, well, one, Spets number one, Fisher number two, Kelly, and well, I guess Antoine Vermette was more of a winger. And then whoever the well, fuck... you also had, to be fair, in 2017, you had uh, Turris and Broussard. Yeah, but I don't know. Broussard, I just don't think of him as the greatest second-line center. I don't think of him as much of an Ottawa center. No, I don't think of him. was so short. I know. he was. He's just like none of it. He was just there. Fair enough. Yeah. Or for our American listeners, he was just like Wyoming or Iowa. Iowa matters. They make corn. No, I thought they made Slipknot. We don't talk about Slipknot. Oh, that's right. We're not talking about... Well, what were you talking about? The state of Iowa? Yeah, Slipknot's from Iowa. We don't talk... Oh, Jesus. Oh, uh, uh, no. Now we blew it. So one of the great episodes, again, and I will continue saying this throughout this episode because I can't think of any other words to properly describe it, was our top five Ottawa Senators that belong in the Ring of Honor. This was an episode that was really birthed out of our interview with Bruce Firestone. Because we, or I asked the question about his possible induction into the Ring of Honor. And I know Bruce said that it's not up to him. And while he doesn't go out of his way to be acknowledged publicly, he does feel it's really cool that when he does get recognized. This is really where this idea came from. Is how, why the Ottawa Senators have not utilized the Ring of Honor. Because you think of all the guys in their 
29, almost 30 year history of all the people and all the management and the players and coaches you could put in the ring of honor. I don't understand why they have not utilized this more. It's definitely interesting because the Sounders are a bit of a ceremonial team. Like, uh, think of all like the welcome back thing, raising Chris Phillips' number to the rafters, that sort of stuff. Like, it, it's a team that likes their sentimentality, so I'm really surprised. And I agree with you that I'm surprised they haven't used it more. It's true. that episode was really fun because you, you got to look at things in a far more holistic way. It's true, and you definitely got to see two guys, very different perspectives, kind of like with our top 10 greatest sends of 2010, with Redraft, with some of the episodes we've done, you definitely get to see your point of view and my point of view really come out, because, like, and I maintained that, you know, in honorable mentions, like, Jacques Martin should be on there, Bruce Firestone should be on there, you were saying about, uh, uh, not Tom and Selmy, um... Right, uh, the guy who did Crap Hockey Bill. Crap, no, he, you know, you did that for the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, the guy from the right. Sens, uh, one of the founders, not Randy Sexton. Oh, Sarah Leader. Sarah Leader, and yet you suggested Sarah Leader. And then we talked about, you know, and I says, well, what about Danny Heatley? You says, well, that he hasn't really come back to do much for the team since he's departed. And that's one that I really think that a lot of Sens fans could really look at and be like, well, that's a really cool list. Like, who would you want in this list? And... One of the big reasons why I want to bring this up, specifically for this, is because a few weeks ago, on December 6th, the Ottawa Senators turned 30 years old. And there was people on Twitter who were calling for Bruce Firestone to be inducted into the Ring of Honor. Well, it's without him, without Cyril, without, without Randy Sexton, there are no Ottawa Senators. There's not. Like, we, the Senators could potentially be in Anaheim. Or Hamilton. Or God forbid Hamilton. Although it sounds like Hamilton was not going to be a thing. From the way that uh, Dr. Fire, sorry, Professor Firestone uh, just spoke about that guy going around telling people that your city will never have an NHL team but the Hamilton delegation just leaving. So when talking about the Senators, Tim, one of the biggest surprises that we got to do this season was a complicated and polarizing retrospective for Bobby Ryan. That was an episode that, if you go back and listen to it now, you would not think we had only put that episode together in, what, four days? Not Yeah, it was basically, it happened, we got, and then we got together and recorded it. Yeah, and I specifically didn't put any music cues on that episode... I didn't have any sound effects or DJ horns or whatever stuff that would annoy you. I just felt it was a perfect editorial for a guy who was so polarizing. And the relationship he had with the Sens fans and the Sens fans' relationship with him was so complicated that it was really cool. It came full circle where the fans were really on his side once again once he got bought out. Yeah, I really enjoyed doing that episode. I did, and it was a no-frills, all-serious content that we did. And the fact that we got 45-something minutes out of that, and we gave, we gave our honest thoughts about it, we gave context for everything that he happened, that everything happened for him as a senator. So, I look back, that was probably, if I had to 
cherry pick an episode that somebody were asking me, what's an episode from 2020 you should recommend to listen to? It would be that one. Yeah, I think it would be that one. Probably the Bruce Firestone episode and Ring of Honor would be my three. Actually, the Stuntman Stew interview was really good too. It was really good. It was really fun. And I feel this is the best way to segue. Let's talk about some of the interviews we did because we realistically, we only did three interviews this year. We only, we did one with Daniel Esch from the National Podcast Network in February. Bruce Firestone, we had him on in June. And Stuntman Stu, we had him in, what did we have him? November? November, yeah. November. And Daniel Esch, like we already talked a little bit about him earlier this year. So I think we... We've already talked a little bit about Bruce Firestone, so let's start off at Bruce. And I think for me, when you and I were talking about who do we want for the show, and you were suggesting some names, I said, okay, that'd be cool, that'd be cool. And I was like, hey, what about Bruce Firestone? And I was like, you know, because I kind of always wanted him on the podcast, and from listening to old interviews with him, I thought it'd be a really, really cool thing to get him on the podcast to get his perspective on founding the Ottawa Senators, everything that went into it. Because I know he had put out his book, and the fact that, and here's the big, big thing for me is that all I did was I went to Google, typed his name up, his website came up and I sent him an email, not thinking ever he would ever respond. And then he responded to me and he goes, Hey, you know, yeah, absolutely. I'll be interested. And he asked me what, you know, what inspires to have him on. And we said, well, listen, we've always kind of wanted you on the podcast. And we felt it was a really good time to have it on with COVID happening and hockey not being a thing and the one takeaway i really got from that is bruce is very personable oh totally he was super open dude he was and it wasn't just from the content he was talking about it was off the record because when we were talking to him before we hit record he asked us where are we from how did we become sense fans how did we know each other and and he was super cool and talking with us about because he has clients in Duncan. He worked in Calgary for a bit. Like, he was just super cool with us about it. Yeah. No, no, it was like, I was, it was a very good interview. And at times it almost felt like he was interviewing us. <laughs> it was really fun. It was really cool. The one, the one negative I think for myself is I felt at times that my interviewing of him was a bit stilted. Maybe that's just me being kind of, I don't know what the word is here. I can't even think of the word right now. But when I go back and listen to it, you could tell like it's very stilted, very scripted. Mm. It doesn't have a much flow to it for me personally. And I think when I listen back, and it's not like when we interviewed Jamie McLennan or when we talked about Stuntman Stu here in a minute, is that you could tell like there was definitely a flow to it. There was an ease to it was that, yeah, I had some questions, but I just went, well, what about this, 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 and this? Whereas we really didn't go off the record with Bruce. I felt the questions that we put together were great. He was fantastic. And I'm actually really amazed we have been the only podcast to do that with him. For a guy who's had that much significance with the team, I often wonder how come the Sens call-ups and cost per point cast and locked on Sens and all these Sens podcasts have never reached out to him to talk to him. Maybe they just never thought to. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it just seems kind of weird to me. Yeah. Well, it's, it is what it is. Or maybe we just caught him at a good time. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe. But the yeah, because he probably didn't have any t- courses at Telfer at the time. 
that is true. That is true. That's probably a good, actually, a really good answer. But you can definitely tell that he was very appreciative for us being Senators fans, for him still being like, you know, just thank you so much for everything you've done. And the fact that you can tell that he was very appreciative. And I I don't know if you got the same sense with looking back on this interview. And I'm talking to Adam about it. There was times in that interview you could almost tell he wasn't a Melnick fan. That you can kind of tell that the direction Eugene Melnick pushed the Sens, he was not a fan of. Now, was that just Adam or do you feel that same way about it? If you follow him on Twitter, you get that. He's very good at restraining himself. But you can you can still see it slip through on the things he chooses to tweet on. True. But even when, when we talk to him, and I know the one question you brought up is about the opening ceremony in 92, and you asked him, do you, do you, does he feel the Senators have continued to keep fans engaged in the building? And he just says, no. Yeah. And I was actually surprised that he came out so bluntly. So the third and final interview we got to do for this year was one that was a long time coming. And that, of course, was Stuntman Stu. I have yeah. to say that was probably one of the more surreal moments for me for all the years that we were Sens fans and his voice was the main voice that we heard in the either Corral Center, Scotiabank Place, or now the Canadian Tire Center. Yeah, and it was interesting just how that, just seeing how that ride worked, hearing about him working the Olympics, hearing about the fight with cancer and uh, unfortunately how that did end his arena connect his arena announcing career it was just things you would never know could or do happen unless you live them exactly and i will say one thing about that interview and this is something that we haven't actually talked about on the show so when we finally got the chance to interview Stu, we originally were going to do the call on skype and Tim knows exactly where I'm going with this. Jesus Christ. Because we, Tim and I were on Skype. We're sitting here, whatever time that he was coming to come on, we couldn't get a hold of him. Yeah. And we're like, okay, that's weird, whatever. Maybe he's just running a few minutes late. Ten minutes goes by, he's still not online. Another five, ten minutes goes by, he's still not online. So I email him. I'm like, hey, like, what's going on? Like, we're still, we're ready to go. And he emails me back. He goes, hey, listen, like I'm having trouble signing into Skype. You know, just give me a moment. And he just says, listen, I can't get into Skype. Is there any way we can do this interview? So I, I says, absolutely. Just give me your phone number. I'll give you a call and we'll do it up. He says, okay, cool. So he emails me his phone number, which I will not release here. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and so we finally call him up and he goes, hello. And I go, hey, Stu, it's Taylor and Tim from Third Light Plug. How you doing? Ah, you know, I'm doing really good, guys. I'm doing really good. You know, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I am so fucking sick of Microsoft. <laughs> he went off for like 30 seconds about Skype. And I, you and I were sitting there and we were killing ourselves laughing. We're just like, this is, a, why did we not record this? Like, this is amazing. That's, the, that's the only, yeah. that's one of the main things I think of when I think about our interview with Stu. That and when I had to unfortunately tell him that he wasn't on our interview wish list, and he just goes, bastards. I think we... Wasn't that in the episode? It was in the episode, yes. <laughs> well, that 
that was too funny. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit of the Stuntman Stu interview. And I think for me, as I said, that was a very surreal moment, not just because of his Skype rant, but also because you can definitely tell, like Bruce Firestone, you could definitely tell he's still very appreciative that the Senators fans still want to hear from him. Yeah, and it's the sort of thing where this person's been kind of part of the Senators for an incredibly long time. It would almost be like getting Lyndon Slewage on the show, but that might be a bit more difficult given that he does work with the OPP. Actually, that'd be a fun interview. Oh, that would be, yeah. We'll definitely put it on the list. <laughs> but I think for me, that was an interview that... I am actually quite happy how that turned out. I did think at times that I was rushing a bit through it. And I think a lot of it had to do with nerves. And I think for me, because look, I'm not a polished broadcaster. I'm not, I'm not a broadcaster in general. I'm just a guy with a podcast, but you could definitely tell still that there was still those moments of nerves when you're listening back to that. Cause you definitely tell there's times where I'm definitely rushing through the questions as fast as I can just to get Stu talking again. Yeah. And I think it's, it's an interesting difference between how we approach these sort of things. Cause like I, I'm definitely in that one. I felt like I was shooting from the hip a lot more. Yeah. And that was the thing for me. And I look back when we interviewed Jamie McLennan and I, because that was kind of the way I was doing it too. It was just kind of, I had my bullet points of what I wanted to ask him, but I would just kind of free form of how I was going to structure the questions. Yeah. There was a few things I did take away from the Stuntman Stu interview. And I think for me, we finally got the question, or sorry, the answer to the question everybody wants to know. If he had to get rid of one and keep the other, about pizza with extra pineapple or kitty with ketchup. I think I took a lot of heat for that one. <laughs> you did. And you know, maybe it's just me being a heartless fuck, Tim, but... That is probably one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is when, a, when one of our interview guests completely call it, puts you on the spot. Stuntman Stu doing that because you were just like, well, to be fair, Tim, or, you know, tell you in fairness, you know, KD is just gross in general. And he's just like, what? No, KD is not gross. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> oh, I know, man. I'm such a heartless fuck and I love it. I don't understand why. I think there's those... It's those unscripted moments. That's some of the stuff I love about this show is the unscripted moments that we never, ever saw coming. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's half the fun. Uh, like any good plan, no interviewer survives contact with the enemy, right? Exactly. <laughs> I guess instead of enemy interviewee. So it's just see what happens. And funny sh- you get great stuff every so often. Like, I did not expect Ian Mendez to tell us that he thought... Daddy Heatley will be the next one of the next senators to be rehabilitated. I know. Who would have thought? Oh, and by like just, by the way, Tim. Sorry, just a quick shout to Ian Mendez because of the time of this recording that we're doing this episode. It's Ian Mendez's birthday today. Oh, nice. Yeah. So happy birthday, Ian. Sorry, continue on. No, no, that was it. That was it. Okay. Yeah. And then we get moments like that. Do you have something else to say? No, no. <laughs> no, no, we're good. I know. And now I'm going to be like, okay, so where do we go with this interview or episode now? And honestly, I think the best thing we should do now is to talk about some actual hockey stuff. What? Because I know, right? Because one of the big things that we got to do this summer was our NHL playoffs and third line plug episodes. After all the time 
that we didn't talk about hockey. It was amazing the amount of hockey we talked about in those couple of months that hockey came back. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, I think we did a lot better with the play in first round than we did with the later rounds. Which is hard to believe. Which is kind of hard to believe, and maybe it's because we were paying so much more attention to it. Or maybe it's just because by the time we got to the later rounds... I don't. Like, we definitely weren't burnt out on it, but you could definitely tell that we were almost running out of gas at that point. Well, like, to talk about. I was watching basic. I was watching like two, three hockey games a night every night for days in a row. Yeah, so you, the fatigue definitely sat in. Yeah, I was just like, I want to do something other than hockey. And like when uh, Tampa won the Stanley Cup, I was like, I was celebrating with them, but I was also like, I'm gonna do something else tomorrow. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Way to go, Kucherov! But also, I really wanted to see Hedman win. I know, I know. Hedman's I such a like good Victor Hedman. I do. I like Hedman too. He's a good guy. But yeah, no. They're actually listening back to the episode. You could just tell how absolutely gleeful we are that Columbus put Toronto out of misery. Oh, I know. It was so good. Just that opening. Just the opening to that episode was so great. <laughs> And it's funny because that will be so dated nowadays if people don't get the meme reference that we made in that. Stop! 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 But even the very beginning of that episode where it's... Wait, should I say it? It makes me want to... Dance! And it has the Nigerian fucking funeral dance song playing. Yeah. Fuck. God, it was so good. Because, you know what... It didn't stop there because they hit the post twice that day. Tavares hit the post and then their lottery ball hit the post. Post. Oh, man. Good. If the Leafs got Lafreniere, that would have been so, that would have been so bad. Uh, you think Trump's calls about a rigged election are... God, I don't even want to think about Toronto winning Lafreniere. That would the NHL like NHL Twitter would have shit itself collectively. Just imploded on it on itself. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's so good. So good. And now we come to the final thing that we need to talk about this evening, Tim. Now, this is probably the first episode we've done in a couple of weeks. And that's because the last two episodes that we did was our 2020-2021 season preview episodes. Not episode episodes so i think i'll take this opportunity just to well first i'll just thank everybody once again for doing it so that of course is Braden yourself mike gold preston hodgkinson adam young the guys from left coast leaves trevor shackles and chris katugas that was top recording eh four almost four and a half hours of content between those two episodes yeah it's like actually it was really funny uh after we uh, had the interview with uh, Mike Gold, like Chelsea and I ran out to do shopping, and I grabbed a like a, we grabbed Burger Three Twenty, and we get back. I look at the clock. I'm like, "Fuck!" I dawdled too long. Canadian Tire. So I ran upstairs, and in between, uh, like while we were talking with Adam, like I hope it didn't come through on the podcast, but I I was eating. Were you? Yes. I 
No, I don't believe it ever came through, Tim, to be honest with you. Safe. Yeah, you see, Tim, this is why Third Line Plug is not going to win any awards, because you decide to eat during a... Uh... I ate a hamburger. Yes. The... It's a very good hamburger. I think I'm not going to disagree with you tonight, man. Burger 320 is fantastic. Yeah, I, it's always fun times chatting with Adam. It is such a, it's such a good time. And the fact is that we got to really chat with him for quite a while after we recorded, too. It's because, like, you're a new homeowner. He's a homeowner. So we got to talk with him. And I'm amazed he never brought it up. I guess at that point, uh, Bodcast hadn't done their cash it or trash it segment. So the KFC log didn't really come out of that. Uh, okay. But yeah, yes. just like when we were talking with Bruce Firestone, like I literally could have just sat there and listened to you and Adam talking about home improvement projects. Hey, you don't know. What I will never have to deal with. I will never know. That's why I could live vicariously through you and Adam by sitting here listening to you guys talking about a broken water hose. I hope that never fucking happens to me. Again. Well, he was talking about, uh, didn't his exterior tap get fucked? I think so, yeah. Yeah, th that's a dreadful repair, dude. I know, because it's not a simple one where you could just turn off the water, because you basically have to turn the water after the whole house. Yeah. I think our house, luckily, is set up in a way where the exterior pipe yeah. is above the main switch. So you can just turn off access to it. Yeah, because it's isolated. It's not all one together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we locked out. Yeah. Because it is the one thing, you know, like those home improvement shows like Property Brothers and all that crap. Yeah, I was watching it a bit during COVID. Shut up. Um, is that I always like those people on there. Like, they're so nitpicky about the shit in their house. They're just like... You know, I really don't like this big window. I really don't like how this room is painted. I don't like this. I don't like that. I'd be like, just fucking change it then. Jesus Christ. To be fair, like some houses, there are things where it's like changing that is going to take a long time and a lot of money. True. So, but like for the home network ones, I don't get it either because like, come on, you've got Mr. Contractor here who's being paid by the show to do cool shit. I know. Use him. I know, and it's like, and it gets worse when you get, like, those Home Hunter International people because they talk about, you know, I don't really like the furnishing in here. You know, it's so 1950s. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably because the last time this house was renovated, the fucking Germans bombed it. Well, it's also like, yeah, I'm a doctor in the Silicon Valley, and my husband's a programmer. Our budget is $4.5 million. You're just like, how? How? Oh. I want to buy in Kelowna, but I also don't want to commute. Yeah, Jesus Christ! I know, like that's that was all what I was doing for the first like month and a half of COVID. Was, I would just have a couple of beers at eleven in the morning and watch those shows and just get angry about those people. It, now that I'm a homeowner, am I obligated to enjoy HGTV? I think you're almost obligated at that point to become a member of HGTV by having the property brothers come to your house. Either that or homes on homes. I like homes on homes. He's good. Yeah. He's all right. I don't watch much of him. He did build a play park in high park in Toronto. We have gotten fucking way late though. Oh God. Okay. So we got to continue talking about our, uh, 2020, 21 season preview episodes. 
So let's let's get let's turn our attention back to that, Tim. You know, so I knew when we first started this, this was going to be a lot of work to put together, and it did. Yeah, it took. Well, you were doing all of the scheduling too. Yeah, and it's not just like with you and I, where it's just like I just message you on Facebook and be like, "Hey, you want to do it this time?" Sure. Okay. Cool. See you then. You got to understand it. It's got to work for me. It's got to work for you. And it's got to work for the people we're talking with. And it's got to work around the other people we're talking with. Yeah. And that's why I told you, I says, I don't know if we will ever do something this extravagant again. (laughs) If we ever do a show like this again, let's just have just one person. Maybe. Yeah. Although like, Honestly, I had a great time talking with all of the folks that we had on. Uh, like, Left Coast Leafs were a great time. Trevor Shackles is always fantastic. Uh, Adam, same with Adam. Uh, Mike Gold was great. And uh, I'm feeling bad because I'm blanking on uh, the Oiler and Canucks uh, reps right now. Uh, uh, Preston Hodgkinson was Edmonton. And, Pardon? Uh, Bre- uh, Preston Hodgkinson was Edmonton. And Pre- Braden Ursel was Vancouver. Braden Ursel, yeah. Like, they were... Like, all of them were fantastic to talk to, and uh, I'm glad that I got a little... <laughs> I decided to light a little bit of a shitstorm t- bringing up the Neil for Lucic trade. I know, but the funny thing was is that he even wanted to do that. <laughs> like, Mike originally wanted to do it, and you just brought it up with Preston. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, like, as soon as Mike gave me that in, I'm like, oh, I'm bringing this up on Preston. I know. it's It was so good. It was so good. And I think for me, when I look back on doing those, the Western Conference, you can almost kind of tell, like, we were really reaching for stuff to talk about. Because, again, like, we're not a Western Conference-based podcast. Our team's in the Eastern Conference. The Eastern Conference is the cost or the conference that we're the most comfortable with. But I'm very happy how much of the Western Conference we got out of it. But I felt that we really hit our stride once we got to the Eastern Conference portion of it. Yeah, well, you could tell it's the teams we watch all the time. Yeah, especially with teams that we're going to be watching nine to ten times a year now. Oh, yeah. We're going to really learn to love Dylan DeMello's new home of Winnipeg. I know. Yeah, well, you know, it doesn't work out, Tim. We could always send him back to Cape Canaveral. Oh. <laughs> I know. But I think the one takeaway for me in the Eastern Conference episode... I don't know if I will ever feel clean again after saying nice things about the Habs with Chris. We said nice things about the Leafs with the left coast Leaf guys, so... Yeah, but that's a, that's a thing, though. We always tend to say nice things about the Leafs. Like, it would be so easy for us just to railroad them. That's true, that's true. And no, they seemed like good... They were good guys, too, eh? They were really good guys. And uh, shout-out to Sean Orr. He is officially back in Ontario. Yeah? Yeah. I, I actually saw their picture of... Sean, when he was leaving, and his trunk's just full of, like, Fat Tug IPA. <laughs> that was brilliant. That was so brilliant. I also love that Trevor Bast, who runs the Left Coast Leafs podcast Twitter account, him and I definitely, when you watch our interactions on Twitter, you can definitely tell they're so local reference heavy. Like, when we talked about a potential crossover for 2021... He's just like, yeah, we'll work for beer and sandwiches. And he says... Dad's sandwiches allegedly very good. Dad's sandwiches on the corner of Jacqueline and Goldstream. 
great sandwiches. Very expensive, but they're really good sandwiches. Honestly, their sandwiches, it's like... Fucking, it's like a half of loaf of bread. Oh, Jesus. And it's great. Yeah, I guess next time we're back in Victoria, Chelsea and I'll have to try it out. Yeah, man, definitely. I wish I actually had got a sound from them when uh, I was in Victoria for my first aid, but, you know, it is what it yeah, is. No. Yeah, So you I guess... I have to listen to Tim and try the Indian place. The Indian place is not bad. For Lang- it's good. For Langford. It's Langford good. <laughs> That's going to be... You know what? Maybe I should uh, tweet Lefko's lease. That'll be a, po- a slogan for them next year. Langford good. <laughs> so I guess the best way we should close this out, Tim... It's talking about 2021. So overall as a year, like what kind of expectations do you want to put on the podcast or what kind of cool things should we do for this upcoming year? Um, hmm. I don't know. I think uh, we'll have to workshop a new segment. Uh, we're definitely bringing back discussion period. I liked that. That was fun. And I'm glad we brought that into the show in 2020. Mm-hmm. Definitely more interviews. True, and definitely, I mean, I'm just looking at our interview wish list. Realistically, uh, one of them I don't ever see happening because I've tried to reach out to them. So really, there's only like two guys left. I could really well, we just think... have to put more names on there. True, but I was thinking if once we get all these guys off the list, we could retire it. And we could do a new interview wish list. I like the way you think. Yeah. I think for me, for 2021, I don't know what to really say. I don't know what kind of expectations we should put on this podcast. Because, you know, like, over the last three years, like, we've done so many cool things. Things I've never even thought we would ever get to do. So, I do agree with you. I think, for sure, Discussion Point will be coming back. Because that was actually one of my favorites. And we originally were going to do it for this episode. But I knew it would go way over what we were originally thinking of. So that'd be cool. Some more interviews. Maybe I'll seriously shoot my shot and try and reach out for two, two of the really big <laughs> names off this wish list. So it should be good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I think, uh, we got a lot, got a lot of road to run on. And I think 2021, well, whatever's left of the 56 game season, fun <laughs> times. And, uh, the Sens are back in camp on the 31st. So Sens hockey is closer than anything. Oh, it's going to be so good, man. It's going to be so good. So, Tim, do you have anything you want to close out with before we close out for 2020? Nope. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on... Twitter at Third Line Plugs, our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901 Honey Badger. I'm at Great White Gipster, GR8 WYTE Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the episode that we just recorded this evening, shoot us an email, thirdlineplugsensecast at gmail.com. And also, don't forget, if you are a listener on iTunes, please give us that five star rating and share with your friends. Until next time, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. This has been Tim Jensen. Go Suns.